Talking sports as they report Back and forth from their home court They talk the sports if you're not sure They talk of sports and then talk more About all sports East, West, South, North Ryan talks sports Andrew retorts And George will hear as they both sort Through all the sports they both support The Walk-Ons What's up guys? Welcome to the Walk-Ons podcast It's Friday, April 2nd We've got another killer show for you guys today Final Four talk Opening day in Major League Baseball is finally here Some NFL draft and a lot more. Plus, we've got an interview coming up with Emmy Award-winning sports broadcaster and certified legend Chris Myers. Be sure to check out his new show, CMI, Chris My- the Chris Myers interview, and follow him on Twitter at the underscore Chris Myers. And that is coming up a little bit later. You're not going to want to miss that, but let's go to the here and now. Andrew Schuster, what's up, man? Hey, man, Ryan. I'm happy to be here as always. I do have to say I'm still reeling from yesterday's worst April Fool's joke in history, which it ended up not being a joke. It was Roy Williams retiring, which we'll get to later. But I just want everyone to know I am not crying. Wailing is different than crying. Just so just know I'm not crying. Yeah, well, some, some of the neighbors called in the complaint. They thought, thought some old lady had, uh, had been killed there. So I heard some sobbing coming from here. I'm not crying, though. Sobbing's different. I'm not crying. Sobbing's different. Right. Okay. You heard it here. Great. Well, guess what? You started with a little Homer talk. I'm going to start with a little Homer talk on you. I think everything's kind of big here. We've got Final Four. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But I want to go home. I'm going to talk about my Niners. Niners traded up from 12 to 3 in a deal with the Dolphins. They gave up a lot. Um, a couple first-round picks, maybe three first-round picks, if I'm not mistaken, and a third. Um, certainly, I, as a Niner fan, I trust Shanahan's judgment. I think, he, I think, honestly, they know who their guy is at three. I just... Pray, pray to God that it's not Mac Jones. I've heard a lot, a lot of talk about Mac Jones being that prototype Shanahan quarterback. Please miss me with that BS. Do not, I, I, I won't be able to do the podcast going forward after the draft if they draft Mac Jones because I'll be dead. I, I will probably just drop dead if we do that. So that said, maybe somebody else there. Obviously, it's looking like Trevor Lawrence is going to go to the Jags. Probably Zach Wilson to the Jets, maybe. If it's me, Trey Lance and or, well, it would be or, uh, Justin Fields, I really just believe in Justin Fields. I mean, the guy is battle-tested. He's played in, you know, top competition. He's played in the college football playoff. Meanwhile, you've got Trey Lance, who played one game this year. He's played one game in really the last 14 months. He went 15 for 30 in that game, by the way. Division two. We also know about another certain uh, former Bison player, quarterback, who went number two overall uh, a couple years ago. We know how that worked out. So, you know, I I don't know if I necessarily – I think Trey Lance could be a great pro. Maybe Mac Jones would be a great pro too. But for my money, I think Justin Fields is is the QB who who puts the Niners over the top. What do you think, Andrew? Well, I'm going to say I'm going to really miss you when you're no longer doing the podcast because I do think they are taking Mac Jones number three, which is just – Oh, it's terrible. I mean, there's nothing wrong inherently with the trade they made. Like if they knew specifically, we want to go get a quarterback, especially in this year's class, but Mac Jones, come on. There's some, there's some people who are saying he doesn't even have a first round grade and they traded up to get him at number three. This is going to make the Mitch Trubisky trade look like it was the greatest trade in NFL history. What's funny is the Niners were on the reverse end of that, right? They're the one that benefited from all the first round picks. So they should know they this is, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Mac Jones is totally capable of proving me wrong, but I just don't think that's going to happen. No, you're wrong. I think it's posturing. I know that John Lynch and uh, Shani showed up to Alabama Pro Day to supposedly watch Mac Jones, but they also sent their assistant GM to go see Justin Fields. They've got a 
their own pro day scheduled with Justin Fields here in a couple of weeks or maybe a week. So I think this is all just a little bit much ado about nothing. I think they're talking Mac Jones because they think that maybe the Jets, maybe somebody's going to trade into number two with the Jets, try to take Justin Fields because that's got to be the guy. I'm sorry. It's got to be the guy. No disrespect to Mac Jones, but I can't have him. I can't have him on my team. I can't root for a team that's got Mac Jones under center. It's hard enough with Jimmy Garoppolo who can barely move or stay healthy. So anyhow, let's, let's move right off of that. But uh, let's, Let's talk to the big story at hand. Final four is set. We've got Baylor v. Houston, UCLA v. Gonzaga. Uh, I love the story about UCLA. Obviously, the playing game, you got a lot of young guys. Tiger Campbell, shout out to your name and your hair. Awesome. Um, UCLA is in for a world of hurt. I mean, Gonzaga looks like a, a an NBA team out there. I mean, you got Drew Timmy with the, the handlebar mustache and Clayton Kisper, who's the most efficient player, I guess, in the history of college basketball, which that makes no sense. But Andrew, who do you like in these games? Who do you like to see? And who are you expecting to see in the final and then pick your winner? I mean, it's always been Gonzaga Baylor. It still is Gonzaga Baylor and Gonzaga is still going to win. I mean, it's, I I think we've had a really odd tournament with a lot of upsets and a lot of great storylines, but I don't think anyone's ever thought that it wasn't going to be those two teams at the end. And it's still looking that way. UCLA is a great story. I'm not a UCLA fan, but I do think having them competitive and like back to their blue blood status is great for college basketball. And like you said, Tiger Campbell should be a superhero. I mean, it's, it is funny though. He kind of has a lion's mane as opposed to a tiger's mane, but he's still just that alone. Like he should have his own TV show. And I think Houston's a great story. Again, another kind of great program that's back to prominence, but I think Houston has a better chance of beating Baylor, but I think UCLA got a pretty easy draw in the sense of how they got to the final four. I mean, they, they played three double digit seeds. They played a, a weakened Michigan team and they played an Alabama team that's talented, but is very unproven in the postseason. I mean, Alabama is not at all a basketball program. They're not used to being on the stage. And I think that's just kind of what the, you, you see, I got lucky and got put in a great position, but I'm going to be rooting for him just because I love some chaos. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be Gonzaga. It's going to be Baylor, which could be a really fun title game. Yeah, they're a great story. And another shout out to another great name, Johnny Juzang at UCLA, who looks every bit a, a lottery pick over there too. But yeah, UCLA is in for a world of hurt. Baylor Houston, I'm actually really excited to see. I think that's going to be a bloodbath. I, I don't even know what I'm watching when I see Houston. And they've got that one dude, Grimes, who can shoot it. Outside of that, it looks like a bunch of dudes at, you know, at the, the 24-hour fitness just chucking up bricks. But you just can't keep them off the glass. I don't think they have like a single guy who's above 6'8", but they just – hound you for 40 minutes defensively they crush you on the glass and they just wear you down that said it's kind of exactly what Baylor does and Baylor has more talent on the offensive end so I'm with you I like Baylor I like Gonzaga but I do think that it's another year of disappointment for Mark Few I think Baylor actually is going to come out on top in that game but we'll get to that when the time comes Um, now I don't really want to touch on this but I think it should be mentioned Um, the NIL the not NCAA property movement um, there have been a few players, Isaiah Livers from Michigan, Geo Baker from Rutgers, Jordan Bohannon from Iowa. Uh, they met with President Mark Emmert of the NCAA, who is, uh, he could be a dud of the week every single week. But um, just in terms of, let's not get into the nitty gritty because we are not a politics show by any means. But Andrew, what do you make of sort of this movement? Is it progress? Is it much ado about nothing like we've seen over the last several years? Um, do you think this is something that we might see even next year that players can actually make some money off of their likeness like they should 
Uh, I don't know about next year, but I do think it's coming. And I don't know in quite what form it will take, but I do think we're going to get to a point where, you know, athletes are maximizing on their likeness being used. And like, for example, I just remember going, you know, I'd be at UNC and people be walking around in number five jerseys. And we all knew who number five was. It was Marcus Page. And we were wearing their jerseys. We're, you know, supporting them throughout the season and they're not getting anything from that. So I don't think it's as clear cut as just they should make all profits off of However, their image is being used, especially them being on scholarship and technically amateurs. But there does need to be a middle ground where they're getting some level of, of compensation or some type of acknowledgement for their you know, name and likeness being used and not getting anything in return. Yeah, I think that's fair. And let's just, we'll put a bow on that for now. We're, uh, we'll leave that to the experts. But I want to bounce back to the NFL, actually. I, there are a couple ones that escaped me. I got, I got lost in my 49ers haze and my just my eyes, my red eyes for Mac Jones. I just can't. I can't even begin to think, but of course, the big story in the NFL, it's official. We're going to get more, more NFL 17 game season. It's been approved. It's going to happen. Um, I mean, for my, for my money, if you're going to add one more game, you might as well add two. It just, it feels weird to have a 17 game season. Like, I don't know, the, the records just, are, just aren't going to look right. And I mean, really, if it's, you know, it's for more revenue or whatever, for more money, really, it's probably a money play. It's certainly not for the safety of the players. Give me 18 games. Give me two bye weeks. Give me eight playoff teams, right? I think seven playoff teams this year was really exciting. We'll probably get that this year. But what do you make of more football? Is it is this a good idea? Maybe what do you see as the biggest upside, biggest downside for this extension? I mean, the biggest upside is, like you said, more football. I mean, I, I'm i a Broncos fan. I don't know if I want more Broncos football, but I do want more NFL football. The, the one thing that I was really surprised about, though, was that they didn't have a second bye week. I think that's something that, that really could not just benefit the players, but benefit the whole product. Think about it. Now you have 19 weeks of games. And not only that, the players are extra rested. Theoretically, there'll be less injuries. They'll, they'll just be more prepared to play in the later stretch of the season. I, I get it. Maybe it was too much too soon to add in two extra weeks to the season. But I think ultimately, like especially if they do go to 18, you need to have more weeks built in. And plus... From a TV standpoint, like I said, you're having 19, potentially 20 weeks where you have games on every Sunday. I don't get why they would try to avoid that from the NFL standpoint. Yeah, I think that's a good point, right? I mean, you might as well. It's already a year-round sport, even, even in the offseason. We're always talking NFL. It's really what drives uh, the American uh, interest and economy. But, um, yeah, I mean – the reason why, why no two bye weeks? I mean, you might as well just go ahead and extend it. Screw it. Extend it to 20 weeks and just, you know, lighten up the schedule for a couple of weeks. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's the one thing that kind of escapes me is you go on 17 games, but you're going to go one bye week. I mean, I, I hope it doesn't lead to more injuries. It's already the toughest sport in the world to keep guys on the field uh, for a full season, but I guess we'll find out. And on the topic of just the NFL in general, we hit on this a little bit earlier, just with, uh, you know, kind of some draft posturing. Obviously we, I made my thoughts known for how I feel about Justin Fields. I'd like to see him in red and gold, but a story that came out surrounding Justin Fields uh, either yesterday or early today, Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback. Now he's a talking head on TV. Um, He basically said that he was hearing from teams that, you know, questioning the work ethic of Justin Fields, whether it be that sort of last guy in first guy out, not a leader, not working to get better, yada, yada, yada. Now, aside from the fact that he has, that Orlovsky really has no idea what he's talking about. He gets paid to kind of stir up these kind of things. Right. But, you know, what do you make of just sort of this, 
I guess on, in a bigger picture, let's take a bigger picture from a draft posturing standpoint, it seems like teams, you know, are going to, if they've got a guy that they want and they think that he might be taken before them, you know, there's a lot of stories about, you know, those teams putting out bad vibes about a guy. Um, You know, who do you think maybe this is coming from on a Justin Fields standpoint? Do you think Dan Orlovsky is onto something or maybe he should just shut up? Uh, And do you think, you know, really it's just, do you, how do you feel about the sort of posturing between, you know, GMs like maybe talking bad about a guy who they actually really love, but they're just trying to do it. So, you know, the smoke screen and a team doesn't take him before them. Well, maybe they're posturing. I don't know why they'd go out to Dan Orlovsky of all people to do that. I mean, the quarterback of the Owen 16 Detroit Lions, I know everyone's really cares about his opinion. Um, No, I mean, I, I understand it. There's some weird mind games of like, we'll convince other teams that we don't want to draft this. And maybe that is what the Niners are doing is they're telling everyone it's Mac Jones so that no one trades up to number two. But I think at the end of the day, like no NFL team is really going to get their information from NFL live or whatever the talking heads are doing. So I don't know like what it's going to accomplish. Like, all right, convince these fan bases that watch NFL live one thing, but I think the GMs, especially if they're competent are doing their own internal scouting. They're just paying attention to their own opinions, not the opinions of a guy who's on TV every day. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I'm supposed to take advice or a GM of in the NFL supposed to take advice from a guy who literally never threw a touchdown ever in a winning effort for his team in his seven-year career. He's, I think he's two and 10 overall in his career. Uh, tough look for, for Dan Orlovsky there, but let, let's move on to the other big story. Major league baseball is back, baby. Opening day was yesterday. Your Rockies took care of the Dodgers. Thank God. Uh, my giants in true form uh, blew a five run lead to the Mariners in the eighth in a losing effort. Uh, Really, it just feels good to have baseball back, doesn't it? And not only that, we've got fans in the stands. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to have this brief stretch of probably a week when the Rockies are in first place, and then they're going to you know, be on a trend to win 70 games. So I'm really stoked about that. But I will say, you know, we're undefeated right now, so look out. Look, look out. out. The Arenado trade might have been brilliant. But yeah, what's what's so interesting is I get you know everyone gets so you know up in arms and excited for opening day, and then they realize oh, we have 161 more of these to go. And so it's always exciting, the pageantry at first. And then within a week, we're like, shit, we're not even close to the good baseball yet. Right. Yeah, there's a long way to go. But it does feel good to just have that crack of the bat and the the smack of the mitt there, and especially some fans in the stands drinking some Bud Lights and just hanging out. Um, But as with anything with baseball, um, they just can't seem to have anything nice, right? Because not only is it exciting that we have opening day, there's baseball, everything's in the air, but – Mets Nats supposed to be on ESPN opening day, part of the quadruple header yesterday. The entire series has been postponed due to COVID, uh, a COVID outbreak among the Nationals. Um, you know, I don't want to make this a sort of a COVID topic, but they, say, they just can't seem to get out of their own way, Major League Baseball, right? I mean, it just seems like whatever can go wrong will go wrong with them just because they're just. I guess they're right for the picking in in that respect, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a running theme on the show is just Major League Baseball doesn't know what they're doing. But, you know, at the end of the day, like this isn't like last weird season where they had 60 games and we had to all get in it together. Like there's so much time in the schedule, especially with it being the first week. They'll make these games up, which is kind of annoying. And that's like when I saw the headline, I was like, that's a bummer. And I hope those players are, you know, healthy and safe. But I didn't sit there and go, oh no, the 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 season's potentially on, you know, on the brink of of collapse. It was just like, oh, 
that's tough. You hate to see yeah. it. But. It certainly doesn't feel like that. I think last year, if this would have happened in that shortened season when it was still the height of the sort of COVID mania, COVID fear, uh, if if, a, if the first game of the season or the first series of the season got canceled due to COVID, it would have been a, an absolute mess. But I think, yeah, it has a different feeling this year. I guess my only question is, is you know, if we start postponing more and more games, more and more series, I mean – are we going to get to 162? Are they going to have to extend the season? Are they going to truncate the season to 154? I don't know, but we're not, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Um, one thing, and I know we just kind of threw, uh, threw Major League Baseball down in the dumps, but they did do one thing right. Uh, the big news today, they moved the All-Star game and the draft out of Atlanta in protest of Georgia's new restrictive voting law. Um, I think they did it right. Uh, shout out to the Players Alliance. And their part for making this happen, guys like Curtis Granderson, CC Sabathia, Edwin Jackson. I think this is the right move. Yeah, it was totally the right move. And I'm honestly shocked that MLB was the was the one who was proactively doing this out of all the leagues. Now, I don't know that the NBA or the NFL have anything specific going on in Georgia for them to take action. But typically, they're the ones that are taking action first. And the MLB follows because they kind of have to. So for them to be the ones to take action, I saw that headline this morning and I was pretty actually shocked because I was like, I would have never expected the MLB of all things to be really proactive about this issue, but good on them. Like it, it really is a good, good move on them. And especially in a state like Georgia, where baseball still really is like a very strong and passionate sport that people follow. I, I think it really could maybe have an impact and kind of really draw attention and maybe other leagues and stuff will follow, especially if other states pass similar legislation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, good on Major League Baseball, which is not something we, we say a lot on this show, but uh, they, they did move quickly and they moved proactively. This is interesting. I guess we'll see where, where, where it lands, um, where they take the game to in the draft. But yeah, I, I think it was a good move. All right. We're coming up next. We've got our interview with Emmy Award winner uh, Chris Myers. So you're not going to want to miss that. We'll be right back. All right, our guest today is an Emmy, Emmy Award-winning sports anchor and reporter who's been one of the seminal voices of the NFL, Major League Baseball, NASCAR, and Premier Boxing Champions for over 30 years. The man is an absolute legend. Be sure to check out his podcast, CMI, the Chris Myers interview, and follow him on Twitter at the underscore Chris Myers from Fox Sports. You guessed it. It's Chris Myers. Chris, how are you? Uh, good, good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate talking to you guys. I got to tell you, it's uh, the pleasure's all on this side of the, uh, the Zoom call. I'll tell you what. Um, let's get right into it, Chris. So I got to be honest, when we were doing some of our pre-production here and trying to whittle down some of the questions that we wanted to ask you, there was about a million on the list. And it, <laughs> it was a daunting task to, to say the least, but kind of got me thinking. I mean, you have interviewed some of the most legendary sports figures, the who's who of the world. Uh, what, is, what is the Chris Myers method for prepping for a big interview? That's a good question. I, I mean, one of my early interviews as a teenager in Miami, you start with Muhammad Ali and Don Shula, right, doing radio. And so after that, you're, I guess you're not intimidated by anybody if you can, if you can make it through those, those uh, personalities. And again, knowing that later they would be as great as they, as they were. Uh, my approach, it's kind of, I saw this line in a movie about it. It's always been, you know, treat the regular guy like a famous person and the famous person like a regular guy. And by that, I mean, if he's a superstar, they, they like whether you're talking to Tom Brady or Michael Jordan, if you treat them like, I mean, no disrespect, but don't, don't, don't count out. I mean, respect their greatness, uh, but treat them like a regular guy. They respond better. And when you have kind of, when I say average player, maybe they're not the star yet, or they're a young player, 
where it's a coach who just had a tough loss. Uh, I think you, you treat them a little bit more special so that they have room to kind of step up and express themselves. But, you know, you do have preparation, but you really got to listen and be curious generally. And that's kind of what, I, what I've always been. Have some prep, but also listen because you want to hear things that you didn't know before, you didn't read, so that you can follow up and have them reveal something if they're comfortable. And I, I always thought, you know, Howard Stern, going back late night TV, Johnny Carson, some of the best interviewers I've ever seen because they made people feel comfortable and, and people would reveal themselves. You get to know the real, the real person without hammering them like, you know, it was a 60 minutes or some kind of, you know, hard news program. And again, there's those types of interviews, but that's not what we're talking about most of the time in, in sports. So that's kind of been my general philosophy from, from day one. And it always seems to have worked, you know, be respectful, but, but ask the questions people want to know. Love it. Totally. And, uh, you know, as Ryan said at the start, you know, you've interviewed anybody and everybody and you've covered a multitude of major sporting events that like just anyone I think it's covered sports would, would envy. But, you know, even throughout your hallowed career, is there any instance or, or environment that still kind of, you know, raises the, the hair on the back of your neck or really kind of get you going? You're just like, I can't believe I'm here. Uh, well, I always get excited. I really, you know, another one of my slogans that I came up with when I was at local TV from radio and then getting a shot at ESPN and Fox was, you know, I, my theory of every night's the Super Bowl that that I get fired up about every interview, every broadcast, whether I'm doing a, you know, an NFL game with two winless teams or I'm doing an NFL game with, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady going to the playoffs. So that approach, I mean, you have to be realistic. You don't want to sensationalize, but I, I, I you know, I think it's if, if you're there covering it, you got to treat it very important. It's important to the people playing it and performing it and, and, and watching it so uh, the Super Bowl is always is always special I mean that's that's one thing having been there for some of the great moments you know Patriots uh, come back with Brady uh, against Atlanta the greatest comeback ever in that that over them having been there when the when the Patriots lost after the perfect season losing to the Giants you know and then having to talk to Bill Belichick so and then there's moments in baseball you know when the Red Sox finally broke through when the White Sox finally uh, broke through and you catch up with with players in in, in happy moments so um yeah they're, they're all fun and then I've had some tough interviews you know whether it was OJ Simpson or you know, Mark Gastineau was was difficult to deal with in a, in a studio interview. Uh, you know, Mike Tyson uh, threatened to, you know, beat me up, so to speak. Uh, it's a good thing his security guards were tougher than he was, or I might not be here today. Uh, so there, there are a lot of fun things along the way, and then some that maybe were a little uh, frightening at the moment, or at least unusual. Well, it's funny, Chris, you mentioned Mike Tyson. I, I want to get to that right now. Obviously, you've, uh, you, you are well-versed in the, in the boxing stratosphere. Uh, one of the sort of big stories that come out lately, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, three. Now, I got to get your take. Are we going to see this? And, you know, Mike is a, a, an interesting cat, to say the least. He changes his mind every single day, if not every single hour. Um, I got to know, what do you think is going to happen? First and foremost, are we going to see it? And if we do, are you expecting any kind of fireworks or is this just kind of going to be, you know, just uh, much ado about nothing? And thirdly, are you going to pull some strings and are you going to call that fight? <laughs> well, no, I would like to because I have interviewed both of them. And I, I was there early in my uh, career with ESPN covering that fight uh, when Holyfield, you know, bit, or when his ear was bitten off by Mike Tyson in, in Las Vegas and the craziness that that, that ensued. I, you know, I don't think it's going to come off. I mean, I, I, I think it, what it says to me is we don't have enough current stars in boxing. I mean, you reach an age limit. I mean, Larry Holmes fought for a while, guys fought into it, but at some point it becomes really dangerous. And you're right about Mike Tyson. He, he, and when I interviewed him through the years, I mean, he flips from one thing to the other, changing his mind from one mood to the other. So I don't trust and I, I think Holyfield has taken his share of beatings not that I'm a, I'm a doctor but having just talked to these guys in person as they age 
I, I don't think it's going to come off. I don't think it's safe enough. They want to do some kind of exhibition and some kind of fun thing for charity. I think people will tune in and it would be interesting to call in a fun way, almost like, a, you know, getting some old school tennis players to go out and match up or, or some NBA guys or something like that. Uh, but I but I do think that sound like an old man here, but the health risk, the health factor with both of these guys, even though they may look fit and be fit for their age, I, I don't think it's appropriate to get in there and try to beat the heck out of each other. That's just me. Certainly, uh, it's it's certainly not McEnroe, Billie Jean King, right? Just lobbing yeah. a couple of things over the over the net. It's uh, it's real real punches, and uh, yeah, these guys yeah. are for sure. And if it's not, then it's not the real thing. Then don't do it. Then tell us that it's something else. That's all. Totally. And switching gears here with a slightly different sport, and I say slightly jokingly, Chris. In another sport, you you know you work with is NASCAR. Can you speak what it's like to call a race versus kind of a more traditional team sport like football or, or baseball? And you know, is is it significantly tougher to call, or are they kind of you know equally demanding but just bring different challenges to the table yeah i don't actually do and haven't done play-by-play in nascar but over the years have done the pre-race post-race and interviews mm-hmm. and, and attended the races so i work with guys like jeff gordon the hall of famer clint boyer more recently the waltrip brothers in setting up races and talking to drivers i, I think what i like about nascar today it's become more about the driver and the personality and yeah it's still a car gearhead kind of thing but that's been balanced out a little bit so it should be less about the car you all have your crews and that's everything but then the driver who can take a 10th place car and finish you know in the top five or he has a first place car he's not that good a driver and he finishes outside the top 10 that's the skill and and the strategy of it and nascar has been very good about from a dirt track in bristol tennessee trying that at the cup level mixing up road courses different track kind of scheduling uh, so that it's not just a bunch of guys going around at 190 miles per hour turning left waiting for for something big to happen but I but I liken it all the years of doing it to you know unlike basketball and the NBA and hockey you know where you have if you play three four times a week this is a once a week event really you know with the cup series Xfinity the truck race and so you you know you build up to it you have this most of the time the same drivers uh, so it's almost like an all-star group of America's best drivers and then the challenge is is who hot, is hot that week who handles their car and then who handles that that particular track before they get to the championship. So I, I think that's kind of what I what I like about it in my role in the in covering NASCAR. Excellent. Well, let's shift gears once again because I got to quote my guy Neil Everett from ESPN. If some is good, more is better, and we're getting more NFL this season. The league is now officially moving to a 17-game schedule. You laid out your vision for for the schedule a few weeks ago on Twitter. Uh, certainly, several players have voiced their displeasure already at the official news. Alvin Kamara, Adrian Amos, Darius Slay. I'm sure there will be plenty more. Aside from the players' concerns, which is certainly understandable, health, compensation, et cetera, do you, what, do you foresee any potential downside to more football? And if so, what do you think that might be? Yeah, well, I'm a fan of it. I mean, I, I think the 17 game, and I'll explain why. And yes, there's there's the more games you play, the more risk. Just like adding some some uh, postseason games, which I thought worked really well last year in the in the freaky year. And by the way, I'm a fan of Neil Everett. I think he's a great sense of humor. Uh, really does a great job. Worth watching whatever show he's on, whatever whatever's happening. Uh, on, on Sports Center, but I, I, I think, look, you're losing, you're taking away a preseason game. I know most of the starters don't play anyway, and they didn't last year, but, you know, training camp, they're, they're limiting practice in the offseason, and I, I think with the new television package, the amount of money that'll be there in future salary caps, because we're coming off a year without uh, much attendance and, and the pandemic, um, I, I think, you know, you're still pushing the Super Bowl back to the to the 13th. Uh, yeah, have those additional playoff teams that worked last year, even though the Colts and Bears didn't didn't advance. I thought it created a lot of excitement. Uh, it, it'll create I thought they might put in an extra bye week, but I get why they don't. And it's just it's just important that they give 
uh, coaches, players, an expanded roster. You know, they did that last year with, with their practice squad. And, and I think that gives coaches an extra chance to use players in a way that they can rest them. Now, again, we don't want to turn it into the NBA where you lighten the workload and a superstar is not going to play that Sunday you go to the game or, or that Monday night. But that's part of, that's part of the trade-off. So I, I understand the players. They're well-paid. Uh, the equipment's better. Uh, the NFL has worked hard uh, to try to make the game safer. You know, they're still working on that with kickoffs and returns and things like that. Uh, it's the price you, you pay for success. And, and the NFL cleaned up and still does in terms of ratings. It's, it's America's sport. America runs on football. And let's not, let's not kid anybody. It's not a knock on any other sport. But they were the forerunners through this pandemic with holding a draft virtually, pushing now, even right now, Roger Goodell pushing fans forward. That's not greed. That, that's satisfying your fan base and helping to lead a country when, when others are either panicking or so afraid of, uh, of what ways they could do things safely. So I, I think it's a really good thing. And, and as I said, I'm, I'm a big NFL fan at, at heart. It's kind of my first love anyway, before I got to do all the other sports and still is. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you kind of talk about, you were talking about like more is better, you know, in, on your personal life, you're, you're adding, you know, a partnership with Marquee Sports this year, you know, with the new show, Chris and tell, then you'll be calling some Cubs games. And I think it's all appropriate with today being opening day of all things, you know, talk about, kind of what it's like to, to cover some of those baseball teams that are just historically revered, like the Cubs, you know, is you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you know, I'll, I'll run back to it. Is like, is there in your experience, a difference between calling a team like the Cubs or the Yankees, a historically revered team versus kind of a more run of the mill franchise, or is it really the same kind of once the ball starts, you know, you start playing. Yeah. And no, I, I think you do psych yourself up. You probably shouldn't, but you do a little bit more for those marquee teams, but I'll tell you where the difference is. It's, it's when you're doing a game, for Fox on a national basis, right? Or regionally national, if you can call it that versus the, you know, the Cubs channel, like if you were doing, you know, Tampa Bay Rays or the Yankee network, people will see it at MLB.com and other people who watch the game, but your audience is really that, that team, you know, that, that group, you know, they and the Cubs, the marquee channel, it's, it's the Chicago crowd, it's the Midwest. And so you don't have to be, and they, they don't force you, you know, you don't have to be a homer over the top. Uh, but that's where the attention has to be. And so the challenge for me is because I do some other things for Fox and, and John Chiambi does a great job with Jim Deshays, the Pat Hughes on radio. There'll be some other people, Beth Bowens filling in. So I'll have a, I'll have a certain number of series that I was supposed to do last year before the pandemic knocked him out and then some studio shows. Um, so that, that'll be nice to be able to kind of get in when I'm not doing some Fox work over the summer, when things slow down before the NFL season and get to jump in there and, and call some games. Unfortunately, the Cubs are going through a lot right now. I know an opening day loss. Uh, I, I can't believe that their star guys are not hitting better. I, I thought that was an aberration last year. Um, and, and hopefully those guys will be taken care of financially Baez, Rizzo, Bryant. Well, they don't have to trade. Hope they don't trade those guys. Um, and, but I like Ross. I, I like the position he's in they're going through a transition uh but it's a it's yeah it's an honor to, to call some if it was you know i don't say just another team but there are certain teams that fans if they're not your team you pay a little more attention to whether you like your root for them or against them. It's, you know yankees red sox the dodgers uh or, or something like that cubs cardinals you know in, in that window giants uh so the cubs to me growing up in south florida wgn tv we didn't have a lot of options uh, for uh, baseball, Major League Baseball in the afternoon, I come home from school and see that. So I was kind of kind of used to that, bred on, on that before the South Florida got its own teams. Excellent. Well, I want to jump over really quickly. Obviously, we got March Madness. The Final Four is finally set. Chris, I know, I know you don't cover necessarily college basketball, but you're a fan just like anybody else. You've, you've certainly have a long history, a friendship with John Wooden, uh, famous coach at UCLA. Bruins snuck in as 11th seed, a first four playing. Now they're in the final four, taking on Gonzaga. Any any quick thoughts about the Bruins? Yeah, well, think? no, I, I'm loving it. 
I, I picked Gonzaga in the beginning, like like a lot of people. I also had you know a few dark horse seeds. I thought Loyola would go further. I, I really thought it's funny they they still got some of the top seeds in there. But the big thing about the Bruins going in, that everybody beat them up, and through the course of the year they were okay. But that, that could be on that losing streak that they had going in. You just you know you don't feel confident. But it's like anything else. Once the postseason starts. It's a whole new season, so they appear very well coached. Uh, would love to see them have success. Yeah, my, my history goes back with interviewing Wooden, obviously, after his coaching days, more when it related to the Wooden Award, but people like Steve Lavin and some of the other coaches through UCLA history and, and the players. So I, I kind of always root for the underdog, even though you know, I, I picked Gonzaga, and it'd be a nice story to see them. I, I like the, the way they play and the way they're coached and uh, kind of for a college team to kind of have a professional, respectful attitude, uh, which I think shows up, you know, the, the fun fundamentals uh, but John Wood was a great one he had so many great quotes you know never let what you can't do interfere with what you can do and I, I feel like that applies to this UCLA team and I remember asking him at the age of 99 I heard you know he was ill and we did a radio interview and I asked him about if he feared uh, death and and he said you know very calmly a uh, very wise man he just said no I, I don't because I, I think the next world will be better than this one and this one hasn't been all that bad it was a very kind of honest reassuring uh, way of, of him expressing where he was in, uh, in his life so maybe you know for him, his memory uh, for UCLA I know there's some other teams that would love to of the, of the final four have the success but I'm leaning towards the underdog I love that I love that I I got to be honest, it's a, it's a fantastic answer. And certainly from, from Mr. Wooden, I mean, uh, an absolute legend in his own right. The Bruins have no shot. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. <laughs> that looks like an NBA team out there. Yeah, I can't. I was going to say, I, I thought they, I got to be honest, I thought they had no shot going into the tribe, you know, once they got yeah. in. I'm like, each yeah. win kind of surprised me. The Michigan game, I mean, they were fortunate. The other teams did some things, but they, they, they earned their way. Uh, Baylor is interesting to me too, uh, for, for a number of reasons, but yeah, that's the, you know, yeah, it, it would be, it would be a miracle Although we've seen those before, you know, with, with, uh, I can't keep thinking of, you know, Vill Villanova and back in the day when Patrick Ewing lost uh, a long time ago when the, uh, the Hoyas were, were so good and uh, Villanova upset them with Raleigh Massimino, but things can happen in that, sure. in that if you get to the championship. I can't, I can't help but think of sort of the old adages, you know, that, that Bruins club, they're, they're all young, you know, freshman, sophomore, the Mick Cronin has, has brought in it. Maybe they're, you know, they're just young enough to kind of not know they're not supposed to be there, right? And doesn't yes. kind of make some noise. Good, good point. And if they, sorry, they don't feel that pressure and it might hit them at some point. And so far it hasn't at the wrong point when you need to make a free throw or, or right. need to play great defense. Uh, but yeah, they have played, I wouldn't say carefree, but, but you're right. They've played, uh, they haven't looked like a, like a young team or a scared team. I think that's why they are where they are. Certainly not. Well, let's put a bow on this thing, Chris. I got one last question for you. We know you are probably the busiest man in America. I mean, you're going from NASCAR to Cubbies games, to boxing, to NFL. We know you don't ever go on vacation, Chris, but if you were to go on vacation, where is the Chris Myers go-to vacay spot where you can just unplug for days and just say, nobody talk to me? <laughs> well, I know my family teases me about that, but I, I do. I sneak in vacations in between uh, jobs when I'm traveling. And uh, so that's always a good thing. I was just visiting some family in between a, a race on the East Coast and then coming back here to Los Angeles. But I was born in South Florida, live out in Southern California. I have traveled a lot. So I'm a, I'm a beach water guy, sun guy. I mean, that's, you know, uh, so if I, when I do take a vacation, whether it's in Maui, uh, it's a, it's a lot of uh, sun, beach, good time, water, and not the iPhone, iPad. That's, that's all, you know, and I, I really will shut it down, but not for too long because I don't have that next assignment and you can't fall out of touch. 
Uh, you got to stay. Al Michaels always told me that stay, you know, year round. You can take your breaks, but you got to stay up on things no matter what, even if it's not the sport you're calling. So I've kind of always done it because I'm a fan. I mean, that's how I, as a kid, started in this. Uh, and uh, you, you can't lose being a fan. Otherwise, you, you've lost a lot, I think, with your job. Always with his finger on the pulse, Chris Myers. Well, Chris, thank you so much for the time. Everybody, be sure to check out the podcast, CMI, the Chris Myers interview, and follow him on Twitter at the underscore Chris Myers. From Fox Sports, Chris Myers, you are the man. Thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate uh, it. Thank you. No, and Instagram, by the way, it's Chris Myers Fox. Everybody said get on IG, right? You got to get on the ground. Got to get on IG. Yeah, Odell, Odell Beckham told me to get on there, so I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm, I'm on there. But you guys take care <laughs> and I'll, have fun. I'll, look, I'll look for you on a beach somewhere when we're not working. Sounds good. Anyway, right. Thank you so much, Chris. All right. You guys take care. Thank you. All right. Our thanks to Chris Myers. That was an awesome interview. I had completely forgotten until he said that, Andrew, that Mike Tyson threatened to fight him back in the day. Do you remember that? Of course I don't remember that. I'm like nine years old. Come on. <laughs> really? You don't remember anything when you were nine? I, come on. I, I honestly don't remember this, and I would not be shocked if he went and looked it up that this happened before I was born. So. Yeah, well, believe me. As soon as we wrap this show, I'm going to go look it up because that has uh, – epic story written all over it. That's like, that should be its own Netflix show. All right, let's go to the NBA. So the buyout market is hot, hot, hot. Uh, obviously we know um, Marcus Aldridge has ended up in Brooklyn, Andre Drummond to the Lakers. It took all of one game for Andre Drummond to make his way to the locker room with an injury. Um, I guess between those two, LaMarcus Aldridge, Andre Drummond, which team got better, the Lakers or Brooklyn uh, with that addition from the buyout market? Can I say neither? I mean, sure. I guess I guess if they did get better, it was marginal. I really don't think either of those moves really moved the needle too much in the power dynamics of the league. I still think, I mean, at the end of the day, it's probably still going to be those two teams in the finals. And I don't know that they needed either of those guys to get there. Maybe if the Lakers' health continues to be really bad, but especially in the Eastern Conference, I really don't think the Eastern Conference really has a, maybe the Sixers have a, have a matchup that could give the, the Nets problems, but they're just so hard to guard right now. And I think the Lakers, I will say this. I'm not saying this to be a homer. I think the Aaron Gordon move really did make the Nuggets scary. I don't know if you've seen them this week, but they are dominating people. And for the first time ever, I've actually seen national media be like, oh shit. Like we actually need to start talking about them that right now they're having a, they're the starters in the, in the four games. I know it's a small sample size, but still have played about 64 minutes together and our average are have a plus 48 point differential against the teams they're playing. So, yeah. it, and it's this, and it's not, they're not playing scrubs they are playing the Sixers and the Clippers. So keep that in mind. But I, I still think at the end of the day, going back to your original question, it doesn't really move much for me because I still think it's going to be the Lakers and nets and the kind of, at least the wet, you know, at least the conference finals rounds. And I don't know that those players are ultimately going to be the difference in what they were before, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would have said up until Andre Drummond left to the tunnel, uh, he would have been the bigger impact just because of the injuries that the Lakers have had, right? He can keep them afloat. He can keep them at the top, make sure they have home, home court advantage throughout the playoffs, especially with a team like the Nuggets also getting better with, with, uh, with Gordon. Um, you know, th they need a little bit more help. Uh, and who knows how long Drummond's going to be out. It may not be very long, but I think he probably is a bigger impact in improving his team and keeping the Lakers where they need to be because I really do think they're going to need home court advantage to beat the Nuggets because as much as I hate to give you credit, I think the Nuggets are a better team right now. Um, so that, that's, that's actually an interesting, interesting uh, thing to watch. We'll see how that plays out. But 
one of my favorite things to do, especially with regards to the NBA, is just look at my phone, CBS Sports app, and just it's something about Kevin Durant trending or something Kevin Durant said on Twitter, something always. He's, he's always there. He can't get out of his own way. One of the best players of all time, and this guy is having getting into disputes with some guy like Michael Rappaport, who – who cares who that is, you know, some sort of comedian, whatever. Durant got fined 50K for his once private private exchange with uh, Michael Rappaport, where he used a few uh, choice words about how he felt about uh, old Mike there. But I guess the interesting thing is, what's your take on Kevin Durant? Should he just keep his head down and, and you know, go away? Or do you kind of like what, what he does on, on Twitter, getting into it with people? And also, what do you think about the being fined by the NBA for – what was certainly not uh, not PC, not PG, uh, but also was supposed to be a private conversation. Yeah, well, I think it's so weird too, especially because KD has a history of doing this, and maybe not coming out and, and saying those really you know graphic things to people, but you know the burner accounts just going out of his way to be really critical on social media, people who are critical of him. I think it's ironic. He's so desperate to be adored and liked and put on the same pedestal as like LeBron. But then he's so petty about how he goes and shuts down his critics that it counterintuitively like makes us dislike him more and less likely to put him in that same group. Uh, I don't know. Like, I just don't look like I'm, I'm like KD's a top three player in the NBA probably the last 10 years. And I still just don't really put him in the same grouping because he is so kind of pathetic in that regard where he cares so much. Like if I'm Kevin Durant, who cares what people on Twitter are saying? But uh, yeah, it's, from the standpoint of him getting fined, like the NBA had to do something. Like you can't have one of your star players running around, you know, I'm not going to repeat what he said, saying that stuff. Um, but yeah, like it was supposed to be a private conversation. It's just, I don't know. I think they had to do something. And of all people who can afford a $50,000 fine, it is him. And there is precedent. I mean, Kobe got fined for saying some stuff on the court. There's other instances where they're like, we can't have this derogatory language. We need to set an example. So I get it. But yeah, there is that caveat of like, he wasn't openly doing this. He thought it was private conversation. It's just the whole situation is bad. And honestly, it looks bad on Michael Rappaport too. I don't know why he, what he thought was going to happen when he shared that, like it was all going to be on yeah, his well, side. I suppose he should get fined too uh, if yeah. he could get a job somewhere, but uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's such a weird thing for a guy of such great talent like Kevin Durant to have such thin skin. But I will give Durant credit for this. He, when he DM'd Rappaport to go on that little tirade, he did it from a non-burner account, which is nice for him. He also managed to insult women, the LGBTQ community, and challenge Rappaport to a fistfight in the course of that tirade. So that's another triple-double for my man, KD. Um, okay, so this is another thing that's been burning in my mind. There's a story that in the, during the All-Star game, or at least All-Star weekend in Atlanta for the NBA, LeBron tried to recruit Steph Curry to the Lakers. Now, as fun as it would be to see them play together, I'd certainly much rather see that happen in a Warriors uniform versus a Lakers uniform. But what do you make of this sort of recruitment, right? I mean, at this, at this point, this is not the, the 90s where, you know, Isaiah and Bird and Jordan wanted to kill each other. Everybody's best friends. They're riding on bananas together in the offseason. Um, what do you make of this recruitment? Is it, is it serious? Do you think it would happen? Is it just another story, something else to talk about? Well, I think it's going to take a lot more than Steph and LeBron to take down the Nuggets now. Oh, stop it. I'm, I'm joking. I, one, I think it's nothing because I don't think Steph would ever do that. Um, I think he's, he's a Golden State lifer, and the only other team I honestly could see him considering playing for is Charlotte, and that's just because he's from there. 
but I just don't. And I think think of the narrative that would be to have the whole Warriors Cavs rivalry so iconic, probably the defining rivalry of the 2010s, and then to have them go play together, it would just it would it would make every older generation's argument that like the current generation of players are soft, all that all that stronger. You know, Michael was never going and doing that with John Stockton or the guys he needed to, to go through to win the championship. And I get it's different now. We do have these super teams like KD, Kyrie, and James Harden's not gonna go get beat by anybody, but I just think like we would have this whole narrative in our back pocket. Well, Michael never did this in the goat conversation. It just, it'll, it'll never go anywhere. But it's, it, when I did read it, I was like, that's just, the NBA is just getting really, really out of control in that regard. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way. I think it's a bunch of malarkey. I'm sure they, they chatted about, Oh, Hey, I would be pretty fun to play together. But beyond that, I mean, Steph's not going to LA. I'm, I'm sorry. And you just, you wait until next year because, uh, not you mentioned the the Cavs Warriors iconic sort of rivalry for a few years, but just wait until Clay Clay Thompson comes back next year and L.A. Lakers Warriors is going to be the next great rivalry. Sorry to your Nuggets, but that's just what it's going to be. Can I agree to disagree? No, you can't. Let's move okay. on. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what I am going to do. I I, <laughs> I am going to give you your soapbox. I know you want to talk about Roy Williams. That was the big story. The big Kahuna has finally stepped down from North Carolina. 70 years old it's you know he said no I think his quote was nobody's nobody loves coaching basketball more than me which is debatable and a subjective statement but I do feel it and I know you've got some real deep thoughts on that so why don't you go ahead and take us home here buddy yeah I mean there's not enough words I can express to say how much I appreciate and love coach Williams and I've never played for him I've, I've never spoken to him but like he just is who'd you play for Andrew oh you know I just played for the you know Weddington Recreational League just you know <laughs> shooting guard putting up that you know 10 points a game oh nice you're in double figures double figures baby Not a baby um but uh no but like coach williams you know one was was the a primary reason i got into carolina basketball to begin with but my message is just more i obviously he's kind of considered in the pantheon of coaches as one of the greats but i really don't think uh, the casual fan realizes just how great he was um fastest 900 wins out of anybody. And so when you bring up the win totals and you compare them to Bayheim or Krzyzewski or Phil Knight, and it's like, yeah, there's a coach with more wins, but he did it the fastest. Nine final fours. Since he's been at Carolina, they've won the most championships. They made the most final four appearances, the most tournament wins. I mean, he really dominated the ACC in a way that I don't think enough people realize. They still think you get Coach K gets thrown out as the best coach of all time, and he might be. But I think when you, Roy showed up to North Carolina, he not only saved that program in a really trying time, but he turned them into like the program of the last 20 years. And I just don't think enough people quite realize that, especially with the last two years that they've had, they've been on the downside. So, you know, recency bias, we don't think they're as good as they used to, but he coached for 18 years and he made five final fours. I mean, he's averaging a final four less than every four years. And that's pretty incredible a championship every six years. I mean, he really, he saves Carolina basketball. He is Carolina basketball and he's going to be really hard to replace. And so I just want to say thank you, Coach Williams, for everything that you did. We love you, Coach. Andrew, actually off the air, I, I, I kind of love this story. You, you mentioned that when you were at North Carolina, Roy Williams was kind of famous for, I guess, just taking strolls through through the uh, the commons there, just like between classes or in the in the, in the foyer. Yeah, he would just walk around campus every day. And like the way he carries himself, whether it's on TV, on camera, or just in life, like you'd have no clue that he was a Hall of Fame coach, a household name. 
a, you know, reverential figure of the sport. He just was kind of a, a, you know, kind old man that would walk around campus and, you know, people would come up and be like, can I take your picture? And he almost always obliged. He just was a, a presence on campus that everyone knew and loved. And he, like, that's what I'm saying. He really is a cornerstone of that university in more ways than just with the basketball team. The shaking babies and kissing hands kind of guy, Roy Williams, I'll tell you what. Well, it's sort of on that front, right? Um, another big story in, in sort of the college basketball sphere, Bill Self signed a lifetime contract with Kansas, um, which, you know, I mean, everybody should be so lucky to just have a lifetime contract for anything that gets you paid. But it almost feels like this Roy Williams stepping down is kind of the end of an era, right? Not Not just for him or North Carolina, but you've got guys like Beheim at Syracuse. You mentioned Coach K. Um, you know, who do you think is sort of the next domino to fall? And is is this sort of the a changing of the guard? Are we going to see new coaches at some of these big schools here in the next year or two? Yeah, I don't know about the next year or two, but I do think within the next five to 10 years, for sure, Beheim, Coach K will not be there anymore. I don't think people realize how old Coach K is. He's got yeah. all that hair dye, but he's like almost 80 years old. Years it makes yeah, sense. He's, he hasn't aged a day since like 1970. I mean, plastic surgery and hair dye will do that for you, but he's older than Roy by like a good five years. So, but uh, I also want to say, I, I said Phil Knight earlier mistakenly. I meant Bob Knight. So, you know, thank you, Seamus, our you know producer extraordinaire for pointing it out to me. But I, I agree. I think we are kind of the end of an era. I mean, it's crazy to think that Coach K, Roy Williams, Bayheim have been figures of the sport for close to 40, 50 years. And within the next four to five years, I think they'll be leaving. You know, I think uh, Bill Self got that lifetime contract because Kansas was afraid North Carolina was going to poach him again. Exactly. I mean, hey, that's a that's a boss move by Kansas, right? Exactly right. As soon as UNC opens up, Bill Self's or ears perk up and Kansas just says, all right, just stay here forever, man. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, but I also just think the way that the sport's changing, I don't know that we're going to get another era of like, four or five stalwart coaches that just dominate the sport and really kind of take over. I think we're headed towards a more like there's a bunch of teams every year that are good and consistent. We've seen that more the last two years. I will say, I think Jay Wright and Mark few could potentially and potentially Tony Bennett as well be on that course of just, you know, getting over a thousand wins, really dominating the sport. But I think we're kind of past that where it's just four or five guys kind of hold all the balance of power in college basketball. Yeah, I think so. It's going to be really weird seeing new faces on the UNC Syracuse Duke sidelines here in the coming years. And I, I tend to think you're right. I mean, I don't pay a lot of attention to coaches outside of just watching the games. But yeah, I mean, I, as dominant as those guys were, I think that's kind of a once in a lifetime grouping. Um, we're almost out of time, Andrew. So while, let's get right into our dudes and duds of the week. Who's your dude of the week, man? Well, I kind of mentioned a possible dude earlier in tiger campbell because just dude talk to me let's let's develop a tv show about you because we need to have it done Uh, my other dude is roy williams as my kind of soapbox you know already did the talking for me thank you coach um can't thank you enough can't put into words what you've meant to that program and you know the time i had at unc was a direct product of that so thank you coach i love you roy love you dad (laughs) um all right i'll give you two dudes of the week too my first dude trey mancini He's back in baseball after missing all last year. Obviously, cancer treatment. He's back. He's healthy. The dude can rake. So welcome back, Trey. You're, you're an animal, man. Congratulations. My second dude of the week, Tim Melville. Do you know who Tim Melville is, my man? He's a baseball pitcher, is he not? You only know that because I told you. Okay. Well, 
Tim Melville is a baseball pitcher, a 31-year-old dude. He had a cup of coffee. He was drafted by the Royals, I think, back in the day, I think 2016. Had a cup of coffee in, uh, in the majors, but he's now playing in the Taiwanese Baseball League. My man threw a 142-pitch no-hitter in Taiwan at 31. It, I actually, back in the day, I, I once threw 127 pitches in an American Legion game, and I don't think I could re- raise my arm uh, above my shoulder for about three, three and a half days, and I was only 14. So my man Tim is 31. So go ahead and ice up, Tim. I want, it, I want you to bring back next time you pitch the 150-pitch perfect game. So give it to me, man. But, Andrew, who's your dud? I mean, I think we could give it to Mark Emmert this week of all weeks, especially when you put the this thing we talked about earlier in collaboration with the women's workout facilities last week, which Matt and I touched on. But I just think it's been a tough, tough couple weeks for the NCAA. And so he's always a good pick. But I think let's, let's officially give it to him this week. We might as well. Okay. That's the easy button, but yeah, Mark, you, you finally earned it, man. We'll, uh, we'll send you your, uh, your trophy in the mail. Don't worry about it. So my dud, or actually should be duds. You could also call them the deads of the week. It's the birds who hit the, jazz, the Utah Jazz plane the other day, uh, caused an emergency landing. A lot of the players, Jordan Clarkson, Donovan Mitchell didn't even get back on the plane. He didn't even play in the game against Memphis because he was too, too rattled. And all I can tell you is one time I was traveling with my wife in Europe, we were catching a flight from Bordeaux, uh, no, excuse me, not from Bordeaux, from Barcelona, Spain to Copenhagen, uh, Denmark. And we experienced turbulence like you would never believe. Uh, I was basically almost thrown out of my seat and I was still wearing a seatbelt. Granted, I had a little too much kava the night before. So I was, you know, kind of a little sensitive, a little on edge. Uh, But that was probably one of the scariest moments in my entire life. So I can definitely uh, side with those players saying that, you know, they thought maybe for 10 minutes that they might not be, be here, be talking to the media about this. So uh, screw those birds. I'm glad everybody's safe and screw turbulence. That's really all I got, but that's all the time that we have today. Thanks everybody for listening. This is the walk-ons podcast. Again, don't forget to follow our guy, the Chris Myers on Twitter. Also check out his show, CMI, Chris, the Chris Myers interview. He was the best. I love Chris Myers. He's the man. He's, he's a lifetime walk-ons favorite, but thanks everybody for joining us and we will talk to you next time. The walk-ons.